Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. My amazing wife, Linda, has taught me that we have cancer because every one of us is affected by it in some way. Survivors, family, friends, and medical and support team members. And we all have a story worth telling. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 101 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm often asked uh, by listeners, what's the easiest way to stay up to date on the show, uh, know when new episodes are coming out? Should I just wait until I see a, a posting appear in one of the Facebook groups? Or what's the easiest way? And I'm going to tell you right now, the easiest thing to do to stay up to date on the latest episodes and be notified as soon as a new episode comes out is to go to wehavecancershow.com forward slash listen. And on that page, you'll have a number of options depending on your preferred listening device. So it will tell you if you're using a Apple device, uh, to, which links to click to subscribe to the show, Android, etc. And that is the easiest way to stay up to date on new episodes, whether you're listening through the native app on your iPhone, the Apple Podcast app. Uh, you have that as an option. We're also on Spotify. So for Spotify listeners, you can find We Have Cancer on Spotify. Google just announced a new Google podcast app available to Android users. So you can find us there. Uh, the app that I use that's on my iPhone is called Overcast. You can find us there. Or if you just prefer listening right on the website, you can go to wehavecancershow.com and listen on your favorite browser. However you choose to do that, we greatly appreciate if you would leave an honest review. Uh, either of the uh, mobile apps allow you to scroll down to the bottom and uh, leave a review. So we welcome your feedback and reviews and greatly appreciate that. And if you have suggestions on future guests for the show, uh, would love to get those suggestions. Just visit wehavecancershow.com forward slash guest and there's a form there that you can fill out and recommend a future guest for the show. My guest this week is Charles Griffin. I learned about Charles Griffin through a video that was shared on Facebook. I got to see Charles make a uh, presentation, a speech, in front of a group representing uh, the Colon Cancer Coalition in Colon Town. And I will tell you two things as I watched this video that there you could have heard a pin drop in the room. People were so riveted by Charles' story and there wasn't a dry eye in the room. His story is so inspiring. His attitude is infectious. And I know you're absolutely going to be inspired by listening to my interview with Charles Griffin. Charles, welcome to the podcast. How are you this evening? I'm feeling excellent, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing good, too. I'm doing good, too. So it, it's good when two stage four brothers can both say that, right? Oh, no doubt about that. <laughs> uh, I was, you know, Sarah DeBoard kind of connected me to you, as you know. I know she was in the audience uh, and got to hear you uh, in action and I got to tell you, as an aspiring motivational speaker myself, 
uh, you blew me away. Uh, you thank blew me you. Away. You've got a real gift. Thank you. I appreciate it. I really do. Where does that come from? I did a little digging around and saw some um, uh, old YouTube videos of some uh, motivational uh, talks that you gave that I thought were just uh, so on point and really inspirational. Uh, where did that background come from? Well, I grew up, man. My father, he um, he was a man of many talents, but he had a, a difficult uh, life. He was plagued with severe acne to the point that it put holes and scars in in his face. And mm -hmm. so he didn't act on his gifts because he let his face hold him back. So I saw the drive in him and he would give me talks and give me examples of how to uh, stand in the face of adversity because he was going through his own adverse situations. And also me playing, being involved in athletics for basically my entire life, uh, basketball, football, and baseball. I was able to go to UAB on a football scholarship. So coming up and in, um, in my neighborhood, playing those sports with those little league coaches, my junior high coaches, high school coaches, and college coaches, you hear a lot of motivation to talk because when you play football, you, you're playing, you're giving your love to a sport that doesn't love you back. And the things that happen to you, it's about how you react to it. So I took all those things, my dad, um, the lessons he taught me, the lessons that, the life lessons that sports taught me. And a couple of that was just living, living in America here, my own ups and downs and reading a lot. And the information I was finding out and learning while I was reading, um, I wanted to share it with people. And uh, I started prior to my cancer, cancer diagnosis. My wife had an iPad and I picked it up one day to hit record and I started speaking into it. And I started putting it on Facebook and putting it on YouTube. And I, I was calling these inspirational hump days because I would do it every Wednesday. And, um, you know, six to eight months later after that, I got diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. So you, 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 is that how you got comfortable standing in front of a group and, and, and sharing your story was just, you know, through those motivational videos on YouTube? Not just that. I do a lot of work in, um, in my church and I grew up, I remember, man, they used to put me on the program at Church Lee. And I used to be so nervous. They used to put me on the program like, to, <laughs> to like pray. And I was like 14, 15 years old. And my dad was like, when you get up there, you just, you just do it. Realize that you're doing it for God and, you know, try to block people out. So I got my feet wet into speaking in front of people doing that. Then once I got in college, um, I used to go to like youth camps and um, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes events and speak to uh, the, the children that aspire to be football players. We would go to juvenile detention centers and speak there. Um, so I started to get a love for, for speaking and I started to get more comfortable the more that I did it. And um, that's where it comes from. A few things came up in your talk that was posted on Facebook. So many of the points touched me, but I wanted to delve into something specific that you said your wife said to you. Uh, what's your wife's name? Her name is Brittany. Brittany. So Brittany, you, you, you shared the story and you said that when you got the diagnosis that you were embarrassed mm -hmm. and you kind of, uh, you know, hid into yourself. Right. And then there was a seminal moment and Brittany said something to you that completely changed everything. Yeah. Um, talk, talk about that. My wife is incredible first and foremost. So 
at the time I was, now that I look back on it, I can see that she didn't really know how to gauge my emotional state. So it was hard for her to be supportive because I was such an emotional wreck. So one night we were laying in the bed, I'm over there, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I'm mad, I'm sad, I'm crying. You know, she's trying to be there for me and lift me up. And I understand what she's trying to do, but at that moment, I just wanted to be mad and upset. I just wanted to just to get it out. And out of frustration, she says, well, maybe this is just not for you. And I was like, huh? She's like, yeah, maybe you have this because you're strong enough to, to take on, take it on to give people strength around you. And it hit me like a ton of bricks, Lee. And um, I had to say to myself, like, man, you're really, really being selfish. What kind of life lessons can you teach your children? What kind of life lessons can you teach your wife, your friends, your church members, your, your former athletes? What kind of life lessons, lessons can you teach people from all nationalities with all different backgrounds? Because cancer is something that doesn't discriminate. So I stopped personalizing it at that moment, at that moment and start to look at it as if, OK, this is not just for me. So let me learn how to accept this so I can grow, so I can be of service to other people. But her saying that changed my look on it. I'm seeing a common theme here that you have been blessed throughout your life, Charles, to be surrounded by really special people. No doubt about it. No doubt about it, Lee. Um, my parents, I was blessed enough to have my mom and dad at home. Both of them, both of them are still living. Um, the, the life lessons they taught me coming up in Montgomery, Alabama, and my f- coaches, my friends, my I, I just been blessed, literally. And now my wife and, and my kids, I, I God has really been looking out for me throughout my entire life. Tell me about Brittany. How has she, how has she gotten through this journey with you? You know what? As a care, as a caregiver. She is, people look at me and see what I'm going through. And they oftentimes use the word, man, you're strong to, to be able to do this than the other. But my wife is the strongest person in this house. In 2013, her brother, died at the age of 34. Unexpectedly, he just died of high blood pressure, didn't know he had it. That's in 2013. In 2014, I get diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. In 2015, her dad gets diagnosed with liver cancer. And in 2016, her dad dies. So here Mm -hmm. it is, the three men in her life. That was her only brother, her dad, who was her first love, and then me. Three out of the men that love her to the fullest, Two of them died and one of them is fighting for for their lives. And she was able to finish school, graduate college, going through all that, keep her job because I lost my job in the summer of 2015, be mom, be caregiver, be wife, and still maintain the person that she is. So the way she handles all of this, it gives me strength because if she can get up every day after losing her father, after losing her brother, and continue to do the things and maintain who she is, a sense of dignity, I got to do the same thing, Lee. I have to because she's a walking example of what strength looks like, and I'm blessed. I'm blessed to see it and blessed to wake up to it every day. And I'm sure you tell her. Oh, all the time. Sometimes I think I tell her too much. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. And you have four daughters. I, I heard in the talk the youngest was six. Yes. What's, what's the range? They're 16, 
12, 7, and 6. So my 7-year-old, Laura Willing, she would turn 8 in September. And my 6-year-old just turned 6 earlier this month. Tell, talk to us about how they've been involved in, in your cancer experience and, and how you speak to them about what you're going through. And, and I, I, I'll make an assumption here, but I imagine what you share with the six-year-old is probably not the same as what you share with the 16-year-old. Right. Uh, talk a little bit about that, Charles. So they all know what I'm dealing with. However, the six-year-old may not know the severity of what I'm dealing with, like the 16-year-old and 12-year-old. Um, because at the time, my six-year-old was two. So the only dad that she knows really is a dad with cancer and, and with the port. Um, and that's how she identifies the cancer with the port. And my seven-year-old, she's getting to the point now, because she was three when I was diagnosed, she's coming into an understanding of how serious it is. But how I deal with it is I don't hide from it. Whatever emotion I'm feeling at the time, I let them see it. I had to grow to that point because initially I, the sight of seeing them would bring me to tears because I couldn't imagine their lives without me. So after my wife and I had to talk and I learned how to personalize it, I let them see me if I was upset. I let them see me when I'm happy. I let them see me when I was sad. I let them see me cry and all, because what I want them to see, they're going to see me go through a lot of emotions. But the one thing they'll never see me do is quit. And I use that to tell them, them, them being women, women of color, that when you get out in this world, there are going to be times that you want to cry. There's going to be times when you get angry. You're going to feel deserving of something. And it's going to upset you and frustrate you. But the one thing you cannot do is quit because you never saw your dad quit. I don't care how sick I got. I don't care how bad the chemo made me feel. You always saw me try to get up, smile, and live my life. So, and, and I do that in hopes that they would take from that and use those same philosophies and principles in their own lives. And hopefully it could spread through our friendships with their friends and, and other people, their teachers, and, and anybody they come in contact with. So they get it. They get it. The 16-year-old and the 12-year-old they understand the severity more so than the six-year-old because um, the six-year-old, she really doesn't equate cancer with death right now because she see me and I'm still able to do the things that I've always done. But my 12-year-old, my seven, 12-year-old, and 16-year-old, they understand, okay, this is something serious. You know, cancer kills people. It takes people away. And so not a day goes by without me telling them how smart, how beautiful they are, and how much I love them because... You just never know when, when when that day come. Cancer or not, I mean, just not with cancer patients. All of us are on borrowed time, and that's what I had to understand. So, um, so that's how they do it. And at night, they always ask God before we go to bed, God, please take my dad's cancer away. So at least they know who to ask. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you and Brittany have done right by those four. My goodness. Thank you, Where are you? What's what's the current status of your health right now? So right now I'm still stage four. Um, my treatments have been going well. Um, so the last scan I had, which was roughly six months ago, it showed shrinkage in my all my tumors. And I have tumors in my liver and in my lungs, which automatically put me at stage four. So, um, but all my tumors are small. The, the biggest one may be like two centimeters. 
And so um, the last scan that um, that I had, it showed shrinkage of several tumors, and it also showed evidence of the tumors being eaten from the core of the inside out. So, excuse me, I'm due for a scan July 12th, and um, we we'll go from there. As you know, being stage four, uh, your future lies. Your future depends on what the scan shows as far as what, what you're going to do with the, uh, for, um, the upcoming treatment. So we have to, you know, be patient, be optimistic and see what the scan show after July 12th. And we'll go from there. We live from scan to scan. Scan to scan, bro. You already know. <laughs> we live from scan to scan. Yeah. I, I want to go back to a comment you made. You, you talked about what you said to your daughters about being women of color. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I've learned doing this podcast and interviewing other uh, survivors, um, people of color, have talked about the challenge of awareness, particularly in the African-American community, and especially with men. Yes. Thoughts on that? Um, You know, have you had a chance through your awareness and advocacy work to spend time focused on, on that uh, segment of our population. Um, I'm just curious to get your take on this. Yes. Um, the reason though, Lee, I'm clueless. I have no idea why it's like that. I know that as a gender specific issue, men, we tend to <laughs> not really want to go to the doctor as much as women. <laughs> and that's every color. <laughs> so, but you know, from where I'm from, Montgomery, Alabama, the southwest side, which is Montgomery is basically divided between the east and the west. And I grew up on the southwest. And then the east is more of the, the white side and the, the west, southwest is more the black side. So I grew up on the black side of town with a lot of black families and black men. But the, it was a lack of fathers in the uh, in the families a lot. I was blessed to have my father and my father was a father to a lot of my friends. A couple of my friends had fathers, but some of them didn't. So Maybe I don't know what the disconnect is with the African-American community, but I know my job is to get the message out and to get it out to everyone, but also to really focus on getting it out to the African-American community, black men, because it seems like there's a disconnect. So I remember when um when we went public with the with the news that I was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer and Lee, I got so many messages from black men that were saying to me that, man, hearing your story, knowing that you're a former athlete, athlete, it made me go get checked. And one guy, he sent me a message and he said, man, I owe my life to you because when I got checked, I had a colonoscopy. My doctor told me that he found uh, a bloody polyp that he believes would have turned into a cancerous tumor. And so my job is to get the message out. Now, whether whether people take heed to those warnings or not, I hope they do and I pray they do, but you know, I don't know why there's such a disconnect. Maybe it could, it could come from um, resources. Sometimes in the African-American community, there's a lack of uh, good paying jobs. So with the lack of good paying jobs, there, there's a lack of, uh, you know, healthcare. And, you know, sometimes the last things on somebody's mind when you come from poverty-stricken conditions is medical care. You worry about your, your next meal. You worry about survival, how, to, how I get from day to day. 
So those things seem to prioritize themselves above healthcare a lot of times in poverty-stricken areas, which are sometimes um, the uh, African-American communities. So we can clean all that up, get uh, more resources, better education, better job opportunities, things of that nature, and the jobs will bring on better healthcare. Then we can start trying to encourage men when they have the benefits to go get checked. So it's, it's, it's like a laundry list of things, but hopefully that um start to rectify itself once things start to get better. And, you know, men put their ego and their pride aside and say, you know what, I need to go get checked because it's better to know and to deal with it than not to know when you get sick, you go to the doctor and they be like, hey, you've been, look like you've been had this for years and we can't do nothing for you now. So that's my, the hope and my message that I get people a light bulb to go off and somebody say, hey, I've been experiencing a little discomfort in my stomach. Let me go see what this is about. Yeah, and, and that's certainly the common theme too is, you know, they call colon cancer one of the embarrassing diseases, right? Right. Because we're not, we're not supposed to talk about those kinds of things. Right. And, and, you know, I heard somebody just put it so perfectly and, and pretty bluntly and said, if you think embarrassment is bad, try chemo. Oof. Now you got somebody's attention, right? Yeah. You and I both know that. Yes, sir. I often see people posting in the various Facebook groups talking about their struggle to stay hydrated. And if that applies to you, you should check out H2ORS. H2ORS is an oral rehydration solution. It's a medically accepted alternative to IV hydration. So for those of you who are struggling with this issue of staying hydrated, either due to an ostomy or perhaps chemotherapy, H2ORS is something for you to consider. It'll really help replenish your fluids and electrolyte levels. As a matter of fact, it has three times the electrolytes of most of the popular sports drinks without the excess sugar, artificial flavor, or artificial colors. My buddy Chris Shaw over at H2ORS is offering listeners of the podcast an opportunity to try a free sample of H2ORS. All you need to do is just go to their site, h2ors.com forward slash sample, and they'll ship a free sample out to you, no strings attached. And when you're ready to make your first purchase at h2ors.com, if you use the coupon code CC. P-O-D, they'll give you 10% off your first order. Be sure to stick around at the end of this interview for our new Ask the Doctor segment and to learn how you can get your rear in gear. One of the things, uh, you know, because you and I have something else in common in that we've both been blessed with an incredible wife. And I know when Linda is out talking to friends and, and it, maybe it comes up that her husband has cancer, the immediate reaction, and even to me personally, when I meet people is, oh, I'm so sorry, right? Mm -hmm. And my reaction is, I, I don't want people to feel sorry. Yes. I, I imagine that when your wife and particularly your older girls are out and about, if it comes up, what do you want them to say? when people find out that their dad, their husband, her husband has cancer, what do you, how do you hope they respond to that question? I hope they, that I hope they respond. Like I respond, I tell people all the time, don't feel sorry for me. Just pray for me. That's it. Um, I'm okay. Lee, and I'm going to be fine because mm -hmm. I have vowed to let, and made a promise to not let cancer strip me from who I am. 
And that's what the fight is all about, is being able to stand in the face of adversity, take what life gives you, and not let it strip you of the person you are, not let it strip you of your morality, and to be there for other people in the midst of your own struggles. So hopefully my examples of me living the way that I live, hopefully hopefully the examples of me speaking and trying to give others hope that sometimes maybe in a dark situation, it bleeds into their lives and they can be able to stand in front of their friends. And if their friends offer some sympathy, they can tell them that like, hey, we're fine. My dad is going to be fine. Whether he lives a hundred years or if he dies tomorrow, he's fine and we're going to be fine because it's not about life or death. It's about living. So that's what I hope they can they can say to a person that offers that that type of uh, um, that sympathy in there and, and when they contact them or engage them in dialogue. You have a great support system, but you've also found, you know, the colon cancer community to be supportive of you too. Yes. How did you, how did you come across uh, the online communities and talk about what it's meant to you? Erica Hanson Brown, you already know about her. The mayor of colon town. That's right. So (laughs) after my, I got diagnosed in November 2014. So after I started chemo in the beginning of 2015, I get a message from Erica on Facebook. Um, maybe one of the, my video, me going public, maybe she came across it and she sent me a message and we start to message each other. And then we end up talking on the telephone and she told me about the community of Colin town. Uh, initially I didn't know if I wanted to be a part of it because everything was so new to me. Um, but she told me it was a support group. And at the time I needed needed that because one of the worst things to do when you feel sick or you get diagnosed with something is to Google put that illness in <laughs> because nothing but horror stories and death stories pop up. So I don't had, go see don't go see Dr. Google. <laughs> please don't please don't go see Dr. Google. So after I scared myself to death by going to see Dr. Dr. Google, Erica contacted me and she told me about the support groups of Colantown. And when I when I went into Colon Town, that was the first time I saw stories of people being stage four that are now NED. I saw stories of people that were told that they'll never be NED after multiple surgeries, multiple rounds of chemo, and they've been NED for five years. Like I needed to hear that. Like I needed that so much. And once I saw that those stories existed there. I would go on there every day and and look for those type of encouraging stories to give me hope. And I would read them. And, and, you know, I was kind of quiet because you see a lot of female activity in Colon Town. So I was. And and all of the online groups. Right, right. Not not just Colon Town. So, you know, I, I didn't say much. But, you know, Erica, she she saw something in me and. The way we interacted, she saw something that she was like, I need to get more out of this guy. And when Erica sees something in you, she's not going to stop until she get it out of you. And about about a month or two ago, she contacted me and she was like, hey, we need to sit down and talk. We live in the same area. There's no reason why we had met in person, um, you know, to talk about some things. So we, we met at the National Harbor in D.C. We talked and she told me about the, uh, the Kona Town um, Leadership Seminar um, that we just had um, a couple of weeks ago. And she she wanted me to come. 
And initially, I, I told her I was going to come, but I was like, I don't know, I don't want to go because I don't want to feel out of place. And I, I don't think, I don't know if I'm going to, you know, feel like I belong. There's going to be people that I don't know. I'm probably be the only guy. Uh, <laughs> it's not a lot of, you don't see a lot of black people in Colon Town. So I was like, you know what? Erica's been, she works pretty uh, really hard and earned the people that, that came up with Colon Town and organized this event. I'm just going to respect the time they put into it. And I'm going to go put my feelings aside and I'm going to go and leave. I'm so glad I made that decision, bro, and went. And because um, she told me she wanted me to tell my story. So I said, okay, I'll do that. And uh, I ended up going, man. And it was an awesome event. I met some awesome people. It, it, it is pretty special when you get immersed in, in these communities. Um, and I was fortunate uh, to do the same thing and I've been involved in many groups. And if you haven't seen it, I know you will down the road. There's no support like the support you get your, from your family. Mm -hmm. But the people who are going through it like you are mm -hmm. give, you, give you a different kind of support that only they can give. Right. And that's no reflection on on anybody else. Uh, and I hope that you get the chance, as I have on several occasions, to go to some of the conferences and, and be there with 150 and 200 of other people. I would tell you from experience that uh, it is about 75, 25 uh, female, male. Yeah, I bet. Uh, but, there are, but, but there are guys. Right. There are guys. There are guys. And being there, you know, and spending a weekend with, with folks like yourself and caregivers, you know, if you could swing, I know the colorectal cancer just announced their conference in Houston in November. Uh, I've gone to three or four of their conferences already. And if there's a way that you and maybe even Brittany could swing, go in there, I would highly recommend it. I'm um, looking to that. Question I often asked as I wrap up interviews like this is if someone hears our interview and they were just recently diagnosed uh, and, you know, have that fear that you had and have the fear that I had, what would you, you know, what would you want them to know initially for someone, you know, that, that just got the news that you and I have, have dealt with for years? I would want them to know that it's okay to feel all the emotions that they're feeling right now, to be fearful, fearful to be sad, to be mad, it's okay but they cannot stay in those states because if you don't allow yourself to accept what's going on, then you can't live in the midst of your storm. Fighting the news, fighting the, the harsh realities of life prolongs healing from the inside out. And healing starts from the inside, from the spirit, and it works itself into the fleshly realm. So, for example, uh, an alcoholic can't rectify the problem of alcoholism until they accept that they're an alcoholic. You cannot fix something or start to, start to heal until you accept that you need to be healed. And so all of those emotions, all those feelings have them. Album. I tell people sometimes when I speak that, listen, if you just very, very emotional, the first 10 minutes of the day, get as mad as you want, cry as hard as you can. Go ahead and get it out of the way because the next 23 hours and some odd minutes, it has to be positive energy because that's the only way you're going to get through this. You know, so 
Spend 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes, cry as hard as you can. Get as upset as you're going to get. And after you do that, you tell yourself that I'm going to accept the fact that I live with a disease that ends in death more times than not, but I'm going to be okay. I'm going to live my life and I'm going to go through these treatments and be the best person I can be in the midst of whatever life throws at me. And that within itself will start the spiritual healing, which will bleed into the fleshly healing and dealing with a disease like this. I don't have anything to add to that. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my belief, man. That's how that's how I, um, I attack it every day. Uh, and that's pretty special. That's pretty special. Where can people find you online, Charles? On um, Twitter, my, my Twitter handle is at C Griffin Jr. It's the same on Instagram, C Griffin Jr. And on Facebook, you will find me under Charles Griffin Jr. Well, I will post those links in the show notes of today's episode. So for those folks that are listening and perhaps you're driving or doing other things, go to the website, wehavecancershow.com forward slash 101, mm-hmm. and you'll find the links to today's episode and uh, the notes from today's episode, rather, and the links on how you can connect with Charles. Charles, thank you so very much for giving us a part of your evening and sharing your story. First and foremost, I wish you healing, you know, good health soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a smooth ride as possible through these treatments. Uh, I've got uh, an appointment coming up the week before yours, but that the, both of those appointments will actually happen prior to this episode coming out. So okay. uh, we'll, we'll get an update maybe from you and we'll update this episode uh, as, when it does come out because I'm sure people are going to be really curious to hear the good news of, of how you're continuing to progress and progress well. But all the best to you, my friend, and uh, be well. Thank you, bro. Same to you, man. Good luck with everything. Godspeed. Here are the events taking place across the country that benefit the Colon Cancer Coalition. Starting with tomorrow, August 15, 2018, for our friends in Round Victoria, Minnesota, is the Caboose Cup Sean McQuillan Memorial Golf Outing. That is taking place at Deer Run Golf Club. Again, that is tomorrow at the Deer Run Golf Club in Victoria, Minnesota. Coming up this coming Saturday is a Summer Jazz Benefit Concert. And that is taking place in Wilmington, Delaware, at the Rockwood Park and Museum. It, this takes place from 3 to 7 p.m. this Saturday, August the 19th. Admission is free. However, we will be uh, collecting donations, and those donations do benefit the Colon Cancer Coalition. Coming up on Saturday, August 25th, for our friends in Des Moines, Iowa, is the Get Your Rear in Gear 10K Run, 5K Run, Walk, and Kids Fun Run. That is taking place at Raccoon River Park in West Des Moines, again on Saturday, August 25th. Jumping over into September, Saturday, September the 8th, Get Your Rear in Gear hits the Windy City of Chicago at Montrose Harbor. That is a Get Your Rear in Gear 5K Run Walk and Kids Fun Run, again taking place on Saturday, September the 8th at Montrose Harbor. Also on that same day for our friends up in New England, 
Uh, we have a Get Your Rear in Gear event taking place in Concord, New Hampshire at Gould Hill Farm. That's a Get Your Rear in Gear 5K run, walk, and one-and-a-half-mile memorial walk. The following day on September 9th, on my birthday in Minnesota, Richfield, Minnesota Veterans Memorial Park, is the Get Your Rear in Gear 5K run, walk, and Tour de Touche bike ride. That sounds like fun, the Tour de Touche bike ride and the 5 K run walk event both take place on Sunday, September the 9th in Veterans Memorial Park in Richfield, Minnesota. The following uh, Sunday, September 15th, get your rear and gear hits a uh, city that I just visited, Boston, Massachusetts, at the DCR Mother's Rest at Carson Beach in Boston, Massachusetts, the 5K Run Walk and Kids Fun Run. And those are your Get Your Rear in Gear and Colon Cancer Coalition sponsored event taking place for the next month. Welcome to Ask the Doctor, where your questions regarding cancer and cancer treatment are answered by Dr. Tim Cannon. Dr. Cannon is with the Inova Medical Group in Fairfax, Virginia, and he's a board-certified medical oncologist specializing in gastrointestinal cancers. Dr. Cannon, welcome back. Uh, our question this week is around side effects. Uh, where can patients get information on managing the side effects of their cancer treat treatment? And what should they do if they find that uh, their prescribed uh, you know, initial treatment to manage these side effects uh, isn't working for them? Yes. So um, this is a question I think about a lot because so many of our patients are on chemotherapy and, and there are so many side effects. And uh, there are uh, a lot of medicines that, that work for most people when it comes to nausea or vomiting or pain but there's really nothing that works for everybody. And so it is important to go into this understanding that whatever medicines you've been given have a very good chance to work, but there is a little bit of trial and error uh, that goes along with this whole process of chemotherapy and managing side effects. I think that you know the first thing uh, to do is always ask your nurse. If you have just done chemotherapy and two days later you're vomiting, Usually that is preventable, and it's important to not just accept that as normal, but to you know ask, call the call the hotline at your the nurse's office and say, you know, I'm having vomiting. Is there something else I could try? And there generally always is something you can try. Now, uh, it's not always fixable. It's uh, you know sometimes you know there isn't uh, uh, the the vomiting uh, you know goes on despite trials of multiple different medicines, but, but usually it is fixable. As far as ways that you can seek out the answers yourself without the help of your healthcare provider, you know, there's always chat rooms where people share information about what works for them. Uh, you can, uh, whatever chemotherapy you're getting, you know, you can actually uh, uh, open up the uh, FDA label for the, for the treatment and see what people are getting as side effects. There are um, a host of online resources and uh, Facebook groups where people discuss uh, side effects. Uh, and so, you know, you can always uh, learn some things from, from the online community, but I think you always want to start with your provider's team. That's helpful. Thank you so much for that information.
Thank you. Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer, and thank you to our sponsors, H2ORS and the Colon Cancer Coalition, for your support. We Have Cancer is a proud supporter of Genie's Blue Angels, providing financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer. <laughs>